Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I'm Gloria. During this podcast, we're going to cover a variety of topics that are impacting our everyday lives. We'll look at four things for each topic. One, the absolute empirical truth. That's all about the facts and data. Then we'll look at the personal experiential truth. And that's about how those facts and others do and don't show up in people's lives and their experience of them. Next, the consequential, impactful truth. The difference this makes in people's lives. And finally, you'll hear about resources and solutions you can use to empower yourself and others. Welcome back to the Delicious Truth Podcast. On this episode, we'll be talking with Greg Jenkins, CEO and founder of Greg Jenkins Consulting. We'll be talking with Greg about veterans and their transition from military to civilian life and some of the challenges some of them are met with and resources available to them. Let's jump right in. Hello, Greg. How are you? Hi, Gloria. I am well. Thank you for asking me. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. I thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Um, Let me introduce Greg to you all. Greg Jenkins is the founder and CEO of Greg Jenkins Consulting. He's a 28 plus year veteran of the U.S. Army Service, retired Sergeant Major, diversity and inclusion practitioner, and lifelong learner. I met uh, Greg in 2012 and we started working. I've had the privilege of working with him on different projects with different customers and clients across the United States. Greg, I'm so happy to have you join us today. And I want to jump right in on this topic of military transition from military service to civilian life. This is a very important topic to me, being someone who's from a military family. So my question to get us started, Greg, is will you please share with us data about how our veterans are treated after they're discharged? What is their experience like? The things from the good to the great to the not so good and great. Well, thank you, Gloria. Yeah, that's uh, we can jump right in and talk about that transition. And and I think it's good to start with some stats. Uh, yes. kind of, it gives us some context around the, the numbers that we're talking about, the size or the the volume of veterans that are coming up. One more thing I want to I want we're going to talk about veterans. We're going to talk about their spouses and and, and how the community can get involved as well. Wonderful uh, transitions. But let's start with the first stat. I think the first one is it's really important is to understand just how many veterans transition annually uh, from one of the one of the branches of the military. So. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, and Coast Guard. Uh, and that's to about 200,000 souls every year are coming out of, out of military uniform and transitioning back into a civilian life of some kind for themselves. And some of those transitioning are folks that are, have retired from the military. Some are, are the people that uh, signed up for two or three or four or five or six years and have completed that contract and they're out. So they're, they're, they're usually a younger group of people. Uh, so you've got basically those two. And then, you know, we've got some, some veterans that, uh, you know, maybe things didn't go so well as planned and, and they, they were asked to leave uh, prior to that's a minority of people. So, but I, what I want your audience to understand is the volume of people. So, you know, we're coming up, you know, almost a quarter million people that are, that are going through this process. 
business. And you know, there's one of the one of the organizations. There's there's a number of organizations that provide statistics on 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 veterans and their transition experience. One of them is the uh, the Pew Research. And for about 40% of veterans, transition is actually pretty good. It's pretty easy. Uh, they've prepared well, or they've got good support systems, good connections, good networks, whatever the case may be. And so for about 40% of them, it's pretty good. It's, it's not much of a, of a struggle at all. Uh, then we get to, well, it's somewhat easy. It's about 30%. So we start to encounter veterans, about a 30% chunk of, of that 200,000 that it's okay, but they start to pick up some, you know, some issues that, that, that make it more difficult. Then about 21% find it is, is, is somewhat difficult. Uh, again, you know, greater barriers, uh, greater problems in, in the, for, for a variety of reasons. And then about, about 6% find it extremely difficult uh, for a number of reasons. So I, I think that kind of gives us a little bit of a framework of, of, uh, the amount of people coming out and the folks that, you know, either find it very easy or very difficult. So I, I thank you for these percentages, and I'd like to understand what's the difference. The 30% that experience hiccups, what's that like? What does that mean? Well, that's a great question, and I'll tell you, uh, in that same study that I was referring to from Pure Research, uh, there's a couple of things that, that make a difference. So officers seem to have an, an easier time in their transition versus the enlisted side of the organization, and and there's a couple of reasons for that. So folks that are college educated, which is predominantly, if you're going to be a commissioned officer, you have to be a college graduate. Mm-hmm. So a college graduate, that, that aspect of one's life makes your transition easier. That had some kind of support system, network relationships, that really, really makes a difference. Uh, when you have folks that maybe are, you know, relationships are broken down, not college educated, you were seriously injured, uh, maybe you're suffering, uh, you know, from PTSD, you, maybe you didn't have uh, an injury, but you, you you lost somebody in combat to to you know uh, as a casualty. Those things, as I think all of us would understand, you know, make things a little more difficult. Wow, you have those differences as to why those are. Because that sounds traumatic to me. I would I would tell you, I expected to hear you say that was what the six percent experienced. Those people who. Uh, is extremely difficult for. But to mention people who don't have support groups and don't have um, relationships and don't have PTSD, if that is what's making it difficult for 30%, what do the 6% go through? It's got to be some some pretty arduous things. Um, there's some real distinct challenges there, I think, with that 6% of the, of the extreme difficult uh, population. Veteran homelessness is, are, you know, is, is a, is a, is a reality, uh, in our, in our society. As a matter of fact, very quick, fun fact, and a lot fun, but a fact I think your audience should know is between men and women, women veterans are the faster growing population of homeless veterans versus males. So there's, there's an issue there from a gender standpoint. Mm. And then you also have issues like suicide rates, which I think around is, is uh, 21 a day. So it's, you know, one a day is too many. But uh, when you've got, you know, plus 20 a day that are, are attempting or being successful and ending their lives, uh, obviously, we're not talking about a successful transition there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, one other thing, too, I'd, I'd like to bring up, too, because this is a myth that I'd like to bust right here and now for your audience members is, Oftentimes, Glory, when I am talking to, you know, any kind of population that doesn't have a, a significant veteran background, there's a, there's an assumption that every single service member that has been in uniform has been to combat. That 
number one is not true. Every single service member does not go to combat. Mm -hmm. But the assumption is that every single service member has been to combat and because they've been to combat, they all have PTSD. And that Mm -hmm. is absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. According mm-hmm. to the VA, they believe that there's about 20% of the military suffers from PTSD from a variety of, of reasons and, and incidences. And, but about 80% of that population that has PTSD will completely recover. So mm-hmm. I, I really want to bring that point up because sometimes I'll be talking to a recruiter or a hiring manager or some kind of, you know, senior leader and they're worried about, well, I don't want to hire a veteran because, you know, I, they, they'll have PTSD and something tragic is going to happen, which, right. which really numbers don't bear out. That, that's not the case. Most veterans don't have PTSD and the ones that do, the majority of them will recover. Yeah. And so a couple of things. It is good to make mention. And thank you. And so let's just restate that. So not every veteran goes to the war arena and all those that do don't have PTSD and those that do 80 percent of them recover fully. That's right. You know, this this idea that they think PTSD is synonymous with veteran Mm -hmm. and Americans suffer. Mm -hmm from PTSD. Mm-hmm. According to the CDC, the number one cause of PTSD in Americans is automobile accidents. Yes. So you can be in a car crash. As a matter of fact, you can be a, a person who's never been in the military standing on a street corner and watch a car accident and you can suffer from PTSD if that yes. trauma was, was great enough for you. So I, I really, another thing, not only not every veteran doesn't have PTSD, but anybody can suffer from PTSD. Any That's right. Individual. So, thank you. Yeah. I was going to mention that. So thank you for bringing that in. And then the number two reason uh, uh, for women having PTSD is sexual assault. So after car well, accidents is, is uh, women in the general population of the United States is sexual assault. So I'm sorry to say there's so many opportunities. Trauma is trauma. Trauma is trauma, exactly. Yeah, it sometimes it happens on the street. Sometimes it happens in your home. Sometimes it happens in uh, the military. Sometimes it happens on college campuses. It's wherever mm-hmm. you're fearful for a loss of life or severe injury uh, that sticks in you, in your mind, and actually affects your life for any period of time, forever or for a prescribed amount of time. So we need to get that out there. Sure. Absolutely. Yes, we do. So let's resume talking about our veterans in particular. What else can we, when these people are going through, let's focus on uh, the, what did you say that 60% of people have literally no problem or challenge that they can't overcome easily when they retire uh, from the military. Is that right? Oh, it's about it's about forty three percent find it very easy to transition. You know, and I think we should also we should make this clear. You know, the the majority of of veterans transition just fine. When we're talking about these suicide rates and homeless rates and PTSD and and those kinds of of, of challenges, that's you know that's a smaller percentage. However, that it does need to be discussed, and we need to make sure that we we clarify that the majority of veterans are very healthy, very productive, very you know, well-educated, ready to go to work, ready to, ready to start their new life and, and make sure that that's an understanding. Going back to this un, 
you know, unwarranted fear that, oh, gee, I, I don't know if I want to, you know, engage with veterans or hire veterans, whatever the case may be, because my assumptions are, are, are this, that are the other thing. So, yeah, yeah, this is why we're having this discussion. It is. So let's look at, I want to talk about, um, you said 80% of those who are diagnosed with PTSD right. recover. What about yes. the 20% that do not recover? What are we doing for them? Because my question, and 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 this is a, the impetus of this for me, actually, is because my ex-husband, who was a command sergeant major, as you know, in the mm-hmm. in the army, things were made really difficult for him. He had to have a leg amputated after he retired, uh, and the mm-hmm. VA just wasn't there for him. Um, he had to get a hearing aid because he was an instructor of heavy artillery. Uh, and they can't wear mufflers on their ears because they need to be able to talk with one another. Um, right. And and he had to jump over walls and through hoops and all of that to get any kind of help. So that's just one example that I know of personally. What are we doing after we say to these people, oh, let's support our troops. But then when they come back and they're no longer in the military, how do we support that 20% that don't recover well, that's from PTSD? A, that's a great question. And and I, I can't speak, obviously, to individual ca- cases that are diagnosed with PTSD. But but the veterans, you know, the VA uh, does provide, you know, medical support. And I know in, in the case that you're talking about your ex-husband, there may have been some challenges there, which mm-hmm. I, I no, no question about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I don't know if, if, if your audience is aware the VA is the largest healthcare system organization in the nation. Uh, they have about 1700 locations across across the across the country. Um, and so, you know, that's the primary healthcare provider once mm-hmm. you become a veteran. Mm-hmm. When you are in military uniform, the Department of Defense, whether you're Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, or Coast Guard, the, the DOD or the Department of Defense provides you with your healthcare. Mm-hmm. So people that are in uniform that have suffered post-traumatic stress uh, can and do receive medical care uh, from the U.S. military. Right or any injury, any injury, right? Any injury, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. And then when you're a veteran, when you come out, you you know you're then then there's 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 some differences in in what the term veteran is, and here's what I mean by that. So for in the case in in my case, you know, 28 plus years, uh, I have I have lifetime medical and medical and dental benefits from the VA. Uh, because I'm a retiree. If if I was in three or four years, but I went to combat and I sustained injuries in combat, and I have a service-connected disability because of of those injuries, I am provided a, a certain percentage of disability, and I am provided a certain length of time for for treatment from the VA. Mm-hmm. It could be measured in months, years, or or lifetime. Mm-hmm. If I had gone into the military and I'm not a scratch on me. Uh, and I, I went in three years and got out. My my benefits are going to be are, are going to be lesser so by the VA. So that's really a, a, an individual scenario, if you will. And what I would tell veterans and their families is, you know, make sure you know what your benefits are. Make sure you know what you are in, what you earned, what you in, what you were entitled because of the contract that you made with the with the American people. Because it is going to be different based on circumstance, length of time, injury, so on and so forth. So there's so, got to be some there's got to be some learning on the part of the uh, part of the, vet, the veteran. 
So I understand that. And what is really freaking me out right now is if I go in and I serve, you know, like four years, three or four years, the the basic, the minimum mm-hmm. amount of time, and sure. I am fortunate enough not to have been wounded, not to have sustained anything. What are the challenges that those people face? Because it, it seems to me, don't tell me I just have to make it on my own. And because it feels like I'm being punished because I wasn't wounded, even though I volunteered and put my life on the line. I, I want to say it's not my fault I didn't get wounded. <laughs> it's not my fault I wasn't killed. <laughs> you know, what is it? What is it? <laughs> what, how am I respected and honored when I get out? If I'm that small, is it, and what percentage of people get out and they don't have any kind of injury or any kind of? You know, I, yeah, I don't know what those numbers are, but you know, let me, let me, Go back to your the example that you're using. So if you're a, a person who went in, you know, maybe right, you maybe enlisted right after high school or a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're in your early 20s. You did three or four years. You know, when you when you went to enlist, or or even if you you know you went into commission as an officer and you did you know your you know whatever the amount of your you know six or eight years whatever the case you chose to do, uh, you know you you went into a contract. Uh, with the United States government, with the American people. And so, you know, whatever your, you know, what your contract stipulates is what you're going to receive. So if you wanted to go in and enlist for four years, you enlisted for four years, you got out, you they allowed, you know, you completed your, your end of the contract and you went on with your life. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, you, you weren't injured and didn't suffer any kind of injury. Right, that's right. That's wonderful. The, the things that, the way to go back to your question about support is what the military, the branches of the military do now uh, and have done for quite quite a few years now is transition assistance. And so their CAP program or transition assistance program, and I believe there's some other, other since I retired in 2012, I believe there's some other acronyms and some other programs that they've added. But the military does provide some limited transition assistance uh, for, for everybody that is going to exit the military. So you do have that. And the other thing that I think is important to understand is there are a host of veteran service organizations that don't necessarily, they're not there to provide you with, you know, a specific kind of training or some kind of a job or anything, but they, they are there to support. Uh, and there are, according, matter of fact, according to the IRS, there are over 47,000 501c3 nonprofit Veteran Service Organizations, VSOs, across all 54 states and territories mm-hmm. uh, of the U.S. So there, there is a, a massive network of veteran service organizations designed to support, connect with, uh, in some cases, help train, help find work, help start a business. Uh, go through college. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, in my, in, in the introduction that you, that you share with the audience of me, the last thing you said was lifelong learner. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that was one of the things that I learned in my own transition experience. And, and one of the things that I share with the, with the veterans and, and spouses that I now coach and mentor is you have to, I, I, I recommend that they have a, they take on, 
the idea of becoming a lifelong learner to find out just what is out there and available to me because there are, is a lot of support there for the veteran and their family. But you got to know what, what's there. You know what I mean? You got to what's in your community. What, uh, what organizations are there? So there is a lot, Gloria. It's it's up to the veteran, though, to understand what's available, where is it, how can I get connected to it, and, and what can it do for me? So I'm glad to hear that there's a lot available, and I'm going to ask you for some examples for that. Um, sure. Because I, I, I don't want to walk away from this episode thinking that the onus and the burden is on the person who served our, they signed a contract that says, I'm putting my life on the line to make sure yours is not. And the people who send them are people in government, Congress people, senators, all of that. They don't put their lives on the line, but they have health care for life. So it just seems, and I understand it's a different contract. I understand it's a right. different contract, but I cannot, for the life of me, embrace, respect a system or not look for, what do we need to change about a system that doesn't look out for these people who have actually put their lives on the line to protect the people that are sending them to war? And they don't have a percentage of the same kind of coverage that these people have. It's, It's not that, you know, these people make their salaries or whatever. I don't know how much money these senators and stuff make. That's not the the question, but they're they're really taken care of. We, our government, they take care of themselves. And I'm wondering, these things that are in place for our veterans, what does the government do so that the burden is not on the veteran to know what these things are? It, It seems like I have to do a lot of work if I get out of the service to be helped. That's what it seems like to me. Well, I, I here, here's how I, re, how I would respond. I, I would say any person that would enter into any contract, mm-hmm. whether it be military service, buying a car, a house, uh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the contract is, you need to know the stipulations of that contract. Because you're right, there are going to be different people uh, within in the U.S. government that have it's a different contract, uh, you know, comparing a, a congressperson, you know, congressman or congresswoman mm-hmm. to to a sergeant is 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 apples and oranges, to be quite honest. It's two, it's two different two different kinds of service. If you will. Mm-hmm. I'm not and I'm not defending why I'm not picking a side here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to go back to my life, my lifelong learning uh, comment for the person going into the military. Do you know the contract that you're signing? Do you understand the implications of that contract? And that, you know what that means. You know, there's a, there's a great saying that says, you know, a, a veteran or a military member is a, is a person that has signed a blank check payable up to and including their life to the American people. And and I think intuitively, everybody going into the military understands that, the, the gravity yes. that you are saying that you could be called to go to a place and not come back from it. Yes. And that ha- and that we all know that that happens, unfortunately. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's that's the business of, of the military. Yes. But I, but I think again, if I'm going to mentor or coach a young person who's considering going into the military, I want them to do the research on do you know what this contract entails? Do you know what your benefits or entitlements are going to be once you come out of the out of out of military uniform if you decide to do so? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I I I get your point about 
there may be some things, you know, why do I have to do all this work as a veteran? I would say, I think it's incumbent upon you, young person or younger person, to know what you're getting yourself into. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way at all. Mm-hmm. You know, serving, serving my country was one of the greatest things I, I ever was able to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I am so grateful for it. Um, but I had to learn, you know, what, what did that contract mean? What was I, what was I going to have to do in order to fulfill my end of the contract? What were some of the things that I was going to have to get educated on myself? What were the resources available to me so I can make better informed decisions? So if I did need healthcare coming out of the military, which I did, you know, where do I go? What do I do? What am I entitled to? What have I earned? So that's, 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 that's good information. I'd, I'd like to hear from you. How can I source that out if I'm a veteran? How can I source that out? And when should I start sourcing it out? Because when I get out, I think it's too late. So how and when can I begin sourcing that out as the person who's serving? What can the family do? What can the family do? And then what can the communities do? That's a great question. So the time that you're allowed, you can, you can begin your transition many months before you actually get out of the military, out of military uniform. And I highly encourage whatever branch of service you're in, whatever, whatever timeline that, that your branch has. I know in my case in the Army, you know, a handful of years ago, I could start my transition process officially 24 months ahead of my retirement date or mm-hmm. my, my uh, you know, termination date. I would encourage you to start, uh, you know, a person at least 24 months out. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that is, you know, there's there's a number of things that you can do to prepare for that exit. And and so the other two populations that you mentioned, not only the veteran but the but the spouses and the, the community. So for the veteran, start again, start becoming a you know become a lifelong learner. Start understanding, you know, what what is it that I got to do to prepare? What resources are, are available to me? Uh, there are transition assistance programs, uh, and, and actual brick and mortar buildings and online provided to the military all over the set of fingertips. Uh, I would also encourage that the spouse be part of that process. Go to briefings, the same kinds of material, uh, those kinds of things are available to spouse as well. And the, the military, I think, does a much better job today than it did when I first came in in the early 80s of, of the Army. Uh, of, in, of embracing the spouse population, making sure that they're cared for, that they, they're given information and resources so they can become part of that transition process as well. As for the community, there's, there's a number of things you can do. You know, there's, if, if you, if you've never served and you want to do something for the veteran population, well, there's a couple things you can do. There's a few organizations and I'll highlight them. If, for example, the veteran is a reservist or a National Guard person. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an organization called Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR. And say that, say that again. You. Say that again. I will. Right. I will. What is the name of it? Sure. Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. Okay. Employer Support of the Guard and Reserve. And that acronym is ESGR. Mm-hmm. And let me just very quickly, what the ESGR is... It is the largest Department of Defense veteran volunteer organization uh, within that organization, within the DOD. And there are volunteers in all 54 states and territories, you know, Guam, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. 
and Washington D.C. Those are the those are the four territories, uh, and well, three territories in the district, and then of course the fifty states. And that organization, those volunteers, specifically are to help support employers that want to hire guard and reservists. So that's one big way that that you know uh, guardsmen reservists can can receive res- support from the community. Um, as I was I mentioned earlier about the, the, the 47,000 plus veteran service organizations in the nation, uh, American Legion, AMBETS, DAV, VFW, um, I mean, the list goes, they go on and on and on and on and on. Um, any veteran that wants to know in the community what, what veteran service organizations are, 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 are within reach should go on a computer and just Google, you know, veteran service organizations in my mm-hmm. zip code. Mm-hmm. And they will just start start to populate. Um, so there's the ESGR is one. If if the community is interested, or commu- members in the community are interested in becoming a mentor for a veteran, there are three really good resources, and I'll tell you about those three very quickly. The first one is is eMentor, and that is in fact that was the first online veteran mentoring program, which was put together by an organization called Academy Women, and Academy Women. Uh, was founded by women who had become officers going through the military service academies. And they discovered, those particular women discovered that there wasn't a lot of senior women ahead of them that could, could mentor them. So mm-hmm. when those particular women went through the service academies to become officers, they were like, you know what, we could help out the women coming behind us. And so one of the ways that they've done that is through the e-mentor program. And, and, I, and for those audience members that might be saying, well, you know, Greg and Gloria, I've never was in the military. I don't know how good a mentor I would be. I don't know much about, about being in the military. And that's okay because veterans know about the military. What the veteran may need would, would be exactly what you may have to offer is your civilian perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's a big, big deal. Because mm-hmm. it's great if, you know, if I'm, if you're a veteran and I'm, and I'm your veteran mentor, hey, that's great that we both have a military background. Yeah. But you may say to me, well, Greg, it's great that, you know, you and I know how to talk army together, but I need somebody who could help me start a business. Well, yes. I don't know how to do that, Gloria. You yeah, because you, so, you are transitioning back into the world. So you need to have information about exactly. how the world functions, which is the same and different from the military. That's good advice. It is. That's it good is. advice. It is. So. So for those community members out there that are are hesitant, I would say, oh, don't be hesitant at all. You have value. You have information. You have learned things. You know things. You you know how that that world works. And the veteran who's trying to get into that world uh, or something similar to what you do, you are a wealth of information. So Mm -hmm. so don't Mm -hmm. hold yourself back on it. So eMentor is one. The other one is uh, American Corporate Partners. American Corporate Partners, ACP. And as as the title implies, that is a also a veteran mentoring organization as well. But that is more geared to those veterans and their spouses that would like to go into the corporate side of civilian life. And uh, that organization matches, they all match, but they'll match that veteran uh, with an individual, uh, with a mentor in the particular in their particular, you know, the field mm-hmm. lane that they want to go into. The last one I'll highlight is Veterati. And Veterati is the newest uh, online veteran mentoring program. 
Would you spell that for me? Spell that for me. Sure. Sure. It's V-E-T-E-R-A-T-I. Okay. Okay. And uh, Veterati, again, it's it's where you have mentors that can be both military or and or civilian that are, are willing to volunteer and donate their time and experience and insight to veterans that are are trying to, you know, discover and learn uh, how to, to uh, you know, get into a certain field, start a business. Here's another one. And this is this is uh, an organization. If if you're I'll, I'll give you two more, as a matter of fact, Bunker Labs. Uh, is the next organization, and Bunker Labs was actually started by uh, by a young naval officer. And Bunker Labs is solely focused on veterans and spouses that want to start their own business. They want to be entrepreneurs. And Bunker Labs is all across the nation. Uh, you can easily Google them and find out if you know who's which which chapter seems to be the closest to to whatever your location is. And, and that's that's an organization that can help you there. And then for those veterans, and, and of course these are just these are just one or two or three little examples. There are many other mm-hmm, examples, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. another one for the veteran that is thinking and their and or their spouse thinking about going back to college, uh, the IVMF program that Syracuse puts on is is uh, is a very well known uh, organization uh, or, or program that Syracuse provides. Uh, veterans and their families. And as a matter of fact, IVMF stands for Institute for Veterans and Military Families. And and that right. that program has been, been pushing people, uh, you know, veterans and their spouses through for years. Right. Uh, again, I, I want to go back to my lifelong learning thing. You know, I, veterans, spouses, get on your laptops, your devices, your iPad, your phone, your whatever it is that you've got, and start Googling those things that you that you are interested in. Where is the support? What's in my community? Um, you know, where can I can I go? Those examples are just are some of those uh, resources that, that uh, are available. So I, I thank you for sharing all that. And here's here's one of my great takeaways. I need to not just go to my recruiter's office. I need to before I sign a contract, I need to know what I'm signing for. I think many young people in particular who are just getting out of high school or maybe even just getting out of college or if they've completed college or not, I think they, many of them are incentivized because they want to serve the nation. Uh, they're feeling their patriotism very strongly and they, they, they sign on. Uh, and that is their goal. Many of them, because they can get training that they can use outside. So education and job training and that sort of thing, they can get that. And many of them, I don't have the money to go to college, so I want to get mm-hmm. the education through the military. But I think what I'm hearing you say, yeah, you know, this is what you're going to get most of the time when you're in the military. You need to understand what you're going to get, what you can get and what you can't get when you're out and let that be factored in if you want to serve or not. That's what I'd be doing. I'd, I, I would say, is this, wait a moment, because this is not all. What is the good, the bad, the bitter, and the sweet of this? So I'm not surprised when I get out. That's what they need to arm and educate themselves. I, I agree with that completely, Gloria. But I would say the, the 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 sole number one purpose of joining the military is to serve your country. Yeah, and and I when I what I want to I want to characterize that, but I, I would I would never promote someone to say go in the military because you're going to get 
dental benefits. That that's that's not the point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you 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 may get you you may qualify for some kind of benefit or entitlement, and that's fine, and you should know what that is. But the main thrust behind, and this is this is in my mind, speaking from my twenty eight plus years, I wanted to go serve the country to go serve the country. I think that's I, what the I majority does. Yeah, I think I'm right. Right. I was I was less right. I was less concerned about you know I I knew there was a paycheck and I was going to get they were going to feed me and mm-hmm, take care mm-hmm, of my health mm-hmm, and all that kind of mm-hmm, stuff. That, that mm-hmm. was that was part of it too. But but I would you know encourage you know those those folks that are considering it you know you know go in there to 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 serve something greater than yourself. Yes. While you're doing that, make sure as you just mentioned too, Glory. Yeah. Do you do you understand? the conditions of that contract and what it entails and, you know, what you're going to provide and what your expectations are back from the, you know, the U S government. You should know that you should know that any contract you're going into military or not. I agree. <laughs> so, so here it is. I'm joining to serve. Right. I also need to know how I will be served. I'm exactly. joining. That's to a serve, good way to put it. But I also to need to know how, how I will be served because both are, I see clearly how these people are. And, and you're right. Some, a small percentage of people aren't successful in military. Um, and so they are departed from the military because they've earned that. I do some, understand. Yes. That. Yep. But the majority yep. of people who join, I think the majority of that majority join with the idealistic, patriotic, whatever you want to call it, uh, idea in mind that I am, I'm here to serve my nation and the people of my nation. See, that's wonderful. I applaud that. The thing is that there's a, there's a disconnect often between my desire and delivery on serving and then the reality of my being served when I get out. So what I need to do is arm myself with, okay, what is my contract for real? What am I entitled to when I'm done? All the things that you have said, how do I go about accessing that? What are the organizations that support me? The final question I want to ask you is what's being done? How can I find out which employers really support veterans? really have not just the words, not just the campaign, not just the media hype that I support veterans, but the companies that are really walking the talk. How can I find out who those, com- what those companies are? Well, there's, uh, let me start with one resource first. Uh, if, if, if an individual were to Google top, top military, top 100 military employers, uh, that, that'll come right up. And um, that is a listing of organizations, of many companies that are you'd, you'd be familiar with if you saw the list, mm-hmm. of, of companies that have put into policy and practice mm-hmm. their, their outreach and their inclusion to veterans and their families. It's, it's on their websites. They, they compete for that award. Um, and it, there's an award given every year for the, the number one out of those hundred. So there's, there's one place to start. Okay. Uh, another place that, that you would want to, that, that the veterans and their spouses should know about is, uh, a, a network of career assistance across the, the nation. And 
the acronym is LEVER, L-V-E-R, Local Veteran Employment Representative. And a local employment, local veteran employment representative, a LEVER, uh, is a veteran who is normally co-located uh, at a, an employment office or career center in, in your city or state, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, for, for when any, anybody's looking for work. And they're co-located there, and their sole purpose, the Libra's sole purpose, is to help veterans find work. And that lever, that person, uh, is tapped into the state and federal jobs that are available for veterans. Yay. And so... And so, right. And, and so, Yay. you know, if you're, you've got three or four or five years coming out, put, put LVER in your zip code and, you know, hit enter and it'll, it's going to show you where your local, where your closest lever office is. Cool. Um, and, and that's, that they're there to help you. There's another, another organization, another part of that organization, uh, is the Disabled Veteran Outreach Program or DVOP, D-V-O-P. And that person who represents the DVOP, is usually co-located with the levers. So if you're a disabled veteran, mm-hmm. uh, there are, again, there's more benefits, more features to, to what you have earned, your entitlements, and the, the DVOP, the, the DVOP, that program can further assist you. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of things that are available. And, and most veterans, or a, a lot of veterans that I speak to, aren't aware of what they're yeah. what they're able to take advantage of. So yeah. again, I'm going to go, I know I felt like a broken record. Got to be a lifelong learner. You got to, you got to get up and start looking for stuff. You got to, you got to, you know, do some research. So I said that was the last question. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, so, but the, my very <laughs> last question before I ask you, sure. uh, what is, what do you want to leave us with? What are you doing? Where can people, how can they find you? And we know that on our website, people will be able to access these uh, suggestions that you have made and find out more about you. But before you tell us what you're doing and how people can uh, contact you or whatever you are wanting people to do as a result of your being so kind to be on this podcast, I'd like to know two things. When you think about community reform efforts, what is the greatest thing that has been done? And what is the greatest thing that has yet to be done? Can I can I just clarify what you said? Community reform efforts. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what, what you're speaking? I want to make sure I'm speaking to exactly your your question. Yes, regarding what's being done on the state and community level, because it's not all federal. On the state and community levels, what's the greatest thing that has been done? to help our veterans and their families? And what is the greatest thing that needs to be done to make a positive difference? Okay. Um, I think, I think the things that have been done, I I think the fact that there are over 47,000 veteran service organizations in the communities speaks volumes to the amount of, of care and concern that the community has for veterans. There, there are so many of those organizations out there. Uh, we just talked about three or four or five of them yeah, here in, yeah, in, in, yeah. This, in this talk here. There are so many. So that that is a that is a great thing. Okay. Uh, and 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 those are like I said, we don't have time to talk about forty seven thousand of them. There's no, so many of them no. out there. Uh, so that that's a good thing. That's a fantastic thing. So what is okay. the thing that yet needs to be done? The greatest, if if there was, if you haven't had a magic wand, 
And you could say, I will use this wand and this one wish that this is done at the state and community level to help our military and their the veterans and their families. How would you use that wand? What is the one thing you would recommend people do? Company, uh, state I, and, and community. I would do two things with that magic wand. Number one, I would dispel the myths, the incorrect myths about, about veterans and PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, I would encourage every community organization or employer to build the kind of organizational culture that is welcoming, respecting, hearing, and valuing of veterans. Mm-hmm. Get to know them. Uh, you know, be inclusive and invite them in. You know, do you, do you, you know, are, are there veterans in your organization and can they help educate those those community members that don't understand the veteran but would like to get to know them better. Yeah. Um, I think it goes back to Gloria. It's, it's, it's just our, it's our DNI work. Be mm-hmm. inclusive, you know, diversity and inclusion, you know, yeah. diversity, diversity and inclusion. And inclusion. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's my answer. That's, that's what I use my magic wand for those two things to spell myths and be inclusive. You know, as you were talking, Greg, about people getting to know our veterans, uh, what I thought about, was the companies that have veterans business resource groups and employee resource groups, whatever they call them. And I would encourage them, uh, aligned with our diversity and inclusion work, I would encourage them to use, leverage those people to educate not only the people within their organizations, but the people within the communities that they serve and make money with. Um, I would, I would in, encourage that as well. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Greg, there's a hug in your future. If you want one, I want to tell you right now. <laughs> Listen, darling, what are you doing? Let's leave with some celebration of you. What are you doing that you uh, want people to be aware of so they can learn more about this topic? Sure. So in my work uh, as Greg Jenkins Consulting, the consultant, right, uh, there's really two things that I'm doing, Gloria, two main buckets, if you will. Yes. So uh, on the, the first bucket is, is the diversity and inclusion work that I do uh, all across North America uh, for, for a number of industries from, from federal government to state government to, to corporate to nonprofit. And, and that's, that's the work where I'm you know, helping organizations and leadership specifically become more inclusive, understand unconscious bias, the value of diversity, the value of inclusion, those kinds of things. On the other, the other bucket that I have, that's, that's my, my, my nonprofit giving, giving paying forward effort. And that is the coaching and mentoring of veterans and their spouses uh, in helping them transition exactly what we're talking about here. And uh, I've been doing that since I, I retired in 2012. Um, I, I, that's an ongoing effort. Uh, I, there is, this is not a sales pitch. There is no charge for any of that, that work. I just want to help take what I've learned in my experience to my own transition. And if I can pass along best practices and lessons learned to other veterans and their, their families, I, I really do that. I do that. And I really do want to do, continue doing that. So, uh, that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell of what I'm doing. Um, yeah, hmm. that's what I'm doing. And I'm glad, you know, and thanks again for having me on because this, this helps that effort. 
Well, I thank you. And um, we'll have on our website uh, your different LinkedIn's and Twitter's and all this other kind of stuff. Um, But uh, they can can reach out to you at gregjenkinsconsulting.com. Is that right or not? That's right. GregJenkinsConsulting.com. They can right. uh, also reach me through Twitter mm-hmm. uh, at Greg B. Jenkins and also LinkedIn. Uh, I do a lot of work on LinkedIn every single day. A lot of, a lot of veteran transition work is done on that platform. Uh, just look for, for Greg Jenkins on LinkedIn. Greg Jenkins Consulting, I'll pop right up and be happy to connect with you. I thank you so much. I will connect with you around this topic and other DNI topics anytime, darling. You take care of yourself. <laughs> 